This is the Silver City Church Podcast. Our prayer is you are edified by this content and that it refines your life in Christ. Visit us at silvercityky.com. From there, you can connect with us on social media, view our location and service time, and download our mobile app to stay all the more connected with us. If this content has been beneficial to you, please share it and give this show a high rating so more may hear the gospel of Christ. May you see God's will be done and kingdom come in your life. Anti. Anti. I actually just this morning Googled just the word anti and clicked on images on on Google, and these are some of the results I got. Doozies. Anti-establishment. Anti-vaxxer. Anti-marriage, anti-Trump, anti-racist, anti-police, anti-whiteness, anti-communism, anti-capitalism. Anti-anti-anti-anti. When this word anti is attached to another word, a new word's created, a compound word, which it would just be this. Anti, whatever the word is, whatever that word that's attached to anti, opposite that. So anti-police, it just means what? against or opposed to the police. This morning, we're going to be thinking about this four-letter word, A-N-T-I in the English, in the context of the scriptures, the Christian walk, and within the church. Would you open your Bibles, if you're willing and able, to 1 John chapter 2. We'll be in verses 18 through 27 this morning. 1 John chapter 2, 18 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lies of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son excuse me, also has, has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Thus says the living word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is plain and clear. We thank you that it is alive and active. And so we pray that it would do the work this morning, that uh, I would get out of the way and the word would simply do the work. Would you call someone to salvation today? Would you give sanctification to your people? 
Would you bring us to repentance and holiness that we may be more like your son? Would we abide in you as we abide in your word and abide together? We pray this in your son's name. All God's people said, amen. Well, arriving at the text this morning, we need to remember back last week real quick so we can all stay on the same expositional page. Last week, we examined the world. Remember, we talked about the world, the system that is anti-God, anti-God, in rebellion against him, found in the fallenness of man and the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eye and the boastful pride of what life. Simply put, being one's own God. It's what we looked at last week. We, we ended reflecting on the will of God in 1 John 2, 17, that uh, whoever does the will of God abides forever, eternal life, right then and there. And what was the will of God? We, we looked at the scriptures to see what that was. It, it wasn't Joe Olstein's magnet on your fridge. It wasn't anything like that. What was it from 1 Thessalonians 4, 3? Our sanctification. How? Through cherishing the scriptures, loving God, loving neighbor, right fellowship, right knowledge, right action. This morning, John shifts his focus to a, a new topic, you could say, but it's really not. It's that old new stuff that he's been talking about that has to do more with what we examined last week. In thinking about the worldly system, John readdresses his original audience, whoever they were, as what? A little children, his beloved, my dear ones. So my dear ones, hear this. As we move into some, some heavy stuff in the beginning that our promise ends on a glorious note. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. Now, this text itself could get us into a bunch of rabbit holes that are going to be distracting for the purpose at hand this morning. Uh, I'm not interested in discussing some sort of thought about this. I, I want to hear what John has to say in context about what he's encouraging us with 2,000 years later. Firstly, John says, it is the last hour. A good student of the Bible must be aware of time markers and must be a good inquirer. Good students, my beloved, my dear ones, the last hour of what? We must remember John had an original audience. He was writing to an original audience, people, likely a church, likely in the Ephesus area. This letter was for their real-time usage and application. This wasn't something projected into the future. This wasn't a prophecy of Isaiah talking about the coming of an Emmanuel or anything like that. That was for their time. So although we must admit many of the elements within this section have that Ecclesiastes-ish, nothing new under the sun trope, doesn't it, in a way. The last hour here is twofold. Firstly, the last hour refers to the last hour of the Old Covenant. Jesus himself in Matthew 24, known as the Olivet Discourse, starts in Matthew 23 and goes through 25, warned his disciples and listeners that before this, this great tribulation, a terrible event that they themselves would go through, he says, and this generation shall not pass until these things come. The original audience, there's something going to happen and that people were going to try to deceive them. People would say, I'm the Christ. No, he's in the wilderness. No, he's there. Follow this guy. No, 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 Jesus says, watch for this. And indeed, John is likely referencing this teaching of Jesus when he says, as you have heard, as you have heard, the last hour was the passing away of the old covenant system with the temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood and the like. 
Secondly, that last hour can also be described as, in a way, as the age between the first and second coming of Christ. John's original audience lived within the initial minutes of the last hour. And we see that last hour ticking away in our time as well. How do we know? Well, thinking back to last week, are worldly desires still passing away in God's people? Are they passing away in you? You better say yes, right? Is he still calling his people into the church from the four corners of the earth? You bet. Are there still many opponents yet to be put under the feet of Christ as a footstool? You bet. Of course, the last hour, church, this is what we have to realize. It's not terrifying for God's people. It's not terrifying at all. It's exciting. It's terrifying for the enemies of God. Why? The last hour for God's people, first seconds of eternity. Amen? We are in fellowship with a wonderful creator who has redeemed us. That is why we can make long-term plans. That's why we can take the tinfoil hats off and make long-term plans like we're going to be here in 100 years or 1,000 years to 1,000 generations with great-great-grandkids, not because we're lazy, but because we're confident in the assurance that eternal life for the believer has already started and all of creation is being redeemed and that we will have great work to do in the eternal kingdom of God. Amen? That's why we can be assured. Going on. As we see, there is an opponent within this, within this system that, that John's wanting us to think about, and it was as predicted, anti-Christ, anti-Christ. You know, John is the only author in the New Testament to use this term, and is only in his general letters. First John, second John, third John. It's never in the Gospel of John. It's never used in Revelation. And every time that this word is used, there's never a definite article in front of it, like the or a. See, John is not concerned about some chief ultimate bad guy at the end of time or right there in his day. He says there was a warning given that the original audience knew about. Antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Notice that John uses antichrist here in a peculiar way, totally against modern you know, thought popularized by Tim LaHaye in the very fictional Left Behind series, or, or even the fallout of those books into secular culture with the horror series The Omen, right? Like with Damien being the Antichrist born. If you've seen it, repent, I'm sorry. Right? Antichrist is a singular mentality that is applied to anyone. There's no code to crack, there's no hidden numbers, there's no Nostradamus stuff. John is saying the testimony of Christ is sure because things are coming to pass in that audience's day just as John, or just as Jesus said they would, and indeed they have, and indeed they continue to. An example of how this was playing out in the first century is, is actually found in Acts 21-38, where Paul is mistaken as the Egyptian who stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 out into the wilderness. But there were many after Christ's resurrection and ascension who did stuff like this, but none of them were able to do as Christ said that he would do, destroy the temple with not one stone left on top of another. Indeed, in this last hour, many were trying to lead the church astray. Many were trying to get them to turn back to Judaism. Many of them were trying to get them to deny Christ. And the last hour of the old covenant came in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed by the Roman armies, not one stone left on another, with a slaughter of the Jewish people 
people and of Christians so terrible that Josephus, a, Christ, or a, Jew, a Jewish historian at the time, said that there was blood in the streets up to the knees. Terrible. Right? There were many antichrists, and indeed, there still are in so many ways. Given they are being crushed under the feet of the church, the true temple made up of living stones that will never be toppled. Yes, amen. 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they all are not of us. See, apparently, some of these antichrists were former church members there. John's writing to you in that area. This is what we call apostasy. What we call apostasy. An apparent commitment to the covenant community of the church, an apparent fellowship, but ultimately a falling away. John here is not calling his listeners and us to doubt our salvation as if we can lose it. John is calling us to recognize a difficult and sobering truth. If someone walks away from the truth of God, if someone leaves the faith, even if they have all these apparent signs of fruit and of well-being, and the actuality is this, that they were never of the church. They were never truly a Christian. The supposed new life that they had and the fruit they bore was all rotten and fake and self-manufactured, planted by themselves for their own purpose. They wanted to be connected to the vine without bearing any fruit. They wanted the benefit of Christ in fellowship and even maybe leadership and position in the church without his lordship and salvation. A deliberate walking away from the faith, as John says, proves that these people were never truly a part of the church. Like Judas, they were connected to Christ in some way, relishing in his benefits, but never for the sake of Christ, but for themselves. This is where we get the idea of the visible and invisible church. The visible being everyone that identifies with a particular body, and the invisible being those who the Lord knows are truly attached to that body in the universal church. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, this is why we are called to persevere and abide, abide, minnow, in Christ. Abide in his word, abide in his fellowship, abide with one another. Remember, abide means to live in or remain. And in doing this, we prove to be true or false. It, it is not works for salvation and favor. It is a joyful work because of salvation and favor bestowed upon us. You desiring to be in the body of the church and in the whole body of the scriptures because you are awestruck by amazing God who would save a sinner as yourself, that is your abiding, that is your remaining in. So what about those who leave the church? We know some that have done that. I know many that have done that. John says, they were never of us. So does the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 10 that if one can intentionally walk away from the presence of Christ, the truth of God, and go back into deliberate darkness, James says this as well, whatever that looks like for that individual, it only proves that they were never truly part of God's fellowship, that they have self-manufactured with the, the boastful pride of life, their lust of the flesh and their lust of the eye, desire to be in some sort of community for power, for manipulation, whatever it may be, you can fill in the blank. See, many times those who walk away from the faith will claim that they have found this new truth, that they have this true knowledge, a secret knowledge, this red pill that 
you know, your pastor at your church is lying to you. The Bible is corrupt. You can't trust any of that stuff. I read this really deep Reddit thread, went down the rabbit hole like 18 different times. Sounds like 21st century problems, doesn't it? But it's not. This is the same old Gnosticism that John was battling in his day and encouraging his listeners in 1 John to be aware of. The old round. 1 John 2, 20 through 21, he goes on to say, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, because no lies of the truth. Those who had walked away during this time, those who had become anti-Christ, literally against Christ, opposed to Christ, that's all that word means, were claiming to have found this special knowledge. John's language of, but you, very emphatic, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and have knowledge, likely indicates that these antichrist false teachers were claiming to have received some sort of special anointing, some special enlightenment that gave them this true secret knowledge that only we've got. Got to have the password. And this enlightenment had told them Truth wasn't in the church. Truth wasn't with God's people. Truth wasn't in Christ. Salvation wasn't in Christ. You don't need any of that stuff. You can have Christ without the Father and have the Father without Christ. All these things that John combats. You see, there's a tendency in the modern culture, the modern church, to want to overuse this word anointing. Apply it to everything. Wow, that music was so anointed. You've got this anointing. You've got anointing for preaching. You've got anointing for singing. You've got anointing for this and that. And the modern church uses this word anointing really honestly, soberingly, in the same way that the Antichrist group was using it. You've got, you've got this anointing as if you're on this special pedestal above everyone else. Nobody else has it. You need to be careful with that word. John says, you true believer, you've been anointed by the Holy One, Christ himself, and you have true knowledge. And this knowledge, what is it? Do we have to go look at the sky and interpret dreams or something? No, this knowledge as John has shown us already in 1 John 2, 3, is the scriptures, God's word, the testimony of Christ passed down by the apostles. 1 John 2, 3, if you remember, says this, and by this we know that we have come to know him his commandments. Knowledge of the Holy One isn't found in some secret society. It's found in the commandments of God contained within the scriptures. And indeed, we have this knowledge. You have this knowledge, dear believer. Don't miss the big picture that John is giving us. Don't get distracted because maybe you, you disagree with something that I've said this morning because you have some different eschatological system. I, I don't, we're not focused on that. I want you to see what John is saying. The big picture is this. We have to remember the entirety of the letter so far. John is not saying that the true believer has this mystical anointing from the Spirit like a weird acid trip or something. We hear that all the time in the church. <gasps> I just felt this anointing. What? We're not saying that there aren't still antichrist mentality. Of course there are. John is trying to get us and his original eyes to believe what? This anointing, this abiding with God, this being in fellowship with him is straight from God himself. And that this anointing is the true knowledge of God found in his word, not in false teachers. It isn't amazing to see the scriptures yelling 
at us almost concerning how important they are for understanding everything. The scriptures are saying, read me, know me, listen to me, abide in me, right? God, ourselves, his plans, wisdom, truth, all of these things, this is what God's word is for. It's yelling at us. And isn't it also amazing how clear John is so often, for John tells us in verse 21 with another thesis statement, right? I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth, the word of God, but because you do and no lie is of the truth. Meaning you have the scriptures, you have the knowledge of God and these antichrist individuals who have walked away and are clearly contradicting those scriptures, the apostolic witness, lying, can't possibly be a part of the truth. Not all spokes of the wheel lead to the center. You know, this is something that's hard to fathom, and I've kind of alluded to it for just a moment. It's really hard to fathom for 21st century Christians. And if we think that the bouncy ball with the lights in it's going to start revival, that's fine. Right? When, when John tells his listeners in 1 John that they have true anointing, they have true anointing, that the God contained in this that God contained in the scriptures, that this anointing of God, the knowledge of the scriptures, you recognize that the New Testament was not yet complete? You recognize that? The original audience of First John likely had access to the Old Testament scriptures, maybe some of the new, maybe a couple epistles of John that had circulated and that were being copied and compiled, and most of it was still oral history and oral teaching passed down from Christ to his apostles and disciples. Think about that. John is, is telling his listeners, what you've been taught by me, other apostles, what the scriptures of the Old Testament speak to and predict and the fulfillment of the shadow has come, that's the knowledge of God. That's the anointing that you abide in and abides in you. Yet how much greater is it for us today who have the complete word of God and do not have to hide in our, uh, have to hide it in our beds or, or bury it in the ground like so many before us had to and lost their lives for? We should be thankful and we should not be without excuse because we have 15 in our homes, five on the coffee table, five on the shelf, one in every room. We must know them because they're there in front of us. He goes on and says this in verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son, or this is Antichrist. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Who are these liars? Notice John is now connecting the thought of the liars who are propagating false teaching, false knowledge, to those that are anti-Christ. John says, this is anti-Christ. This is anti-Christ. This is the anti-Christ, not one singular person. Or This is that mentality. This is that. This is what is against Christ. Denying Jesus as the Messiah, denying the Father, denying the Son, denying God in general. John expands that definition of Antichrist in his second letter in 2 John 7. He says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, gone out from us, right, into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh, such a one is a deceiver and Antichrist. So denying Jesus as the Messiah is, is not just, well, 
Jesus isn't the Messiah. Maybe somebody else is Muhammad or Krishna or somebody like that. It can be a belief that Jesus is the Messiah, but that Jesus was just a man who was given the spirit of the Christ. Their new agey stuff, Richard Rohr stuff. Or that Christ is a concept and he wasn't really a person. This is a formal heresy that has a name. It's called docetism. Really old and it's still around. It's just dressed up a lot neater. So, dear listener, we have a sobering question before us this morning in our text of self-examination, don't we? Are you antichrist? Why would you ask me that? Get, get the idea of Damien, you know, at his birthday party out of your mind with the maid on the, I've seen it, I'm sorry, okay, I have, right? Get that out of your mind, right? Are you antichrist? I have to say this in passing. They, they released a remake of that on 6606. That's how dumb that stuff is. You remember that? Right? Are you Antichrist? If, if in your heart of hearts, ask yourself this, are you a part of this church or any church because you want power or because you want community without Christ so you'll fake it till you make it or just because you want a good place for your kids or because there are people there, you're single, there's other singles there, you're attracted to them. If that is yes for you, that's antichrist. In your heart of hearts, have you been convicted by God himself through the testimony of the scriptures of your sin and your need for a savior and your call to holiness? If not, you are antichrist. In your heart of hearts, do you believe that there is another way of salvation, that it's all like cupcakes and rainbows and we'll all make it there in the end? If yes, then that is antichrist. Christ. Do you believe that there is such a thing as salvation at all? No? Antichrist. Do you not really care about Jesus or God? You're just going through the motions because someone you care about wants you in church or they go here so you'll fake it and not really believe any of that. Yes, Antichrist. Are you telling other people some secret knowledge you found that the Bible is corrupt, no need for church, live your own truth, conspiracy theory stuff, Reddit told me, I watched a video on a website that looks like it was made in 1995 from this guy. Yes, that's what you do. Anti-Christ, against Christ, the Savior of the world. Dear listener, do not deceive yourself or be deceived by any other philosophy. Do not. The scriptures tell us who are for Christ and who are against him. You see, Christ himself even says he anoints our minds who is for him and who is against him. Matthew 12, 30 through 35, Jesus is saying this in the context of the Pharisees accusing him of casting out demons in the name of another demon named Beelzebub. Jesus says this, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. That is, uh, that's, that's making claims that all that Christ did was by the power of Satan. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Ready? Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. There goes our little, you know, petting zoo Jesus. You brood of vipers. 
How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Your love for Christ, your correct knowledge of him, the abiding of the Holy Spirit in you, the fruit that you bear, the things you do with your life, the things that you say, the things that you think, your knowledge and action upon that knowledge proves if you are in Christ or against him. That's what Jesus is saying. If you find yourself truthfully answering yes with fear and trembling, I think that I am antichrist. Then, dear listener, be grieved by your sin, but realize this. As long as today is called today, you have the opportunity to confess that sin and be forgiven and truly be in in and of the body of Christ. Amen. And if you have examined yourself and you say, no, no, I, I am not antichrist, then hear this encouragement from John for you and the rest of our text this morning in 24 through 28. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There's another thesis statement. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. When God's people examine themselves and orient their entire lives around the word of God, which gives us sanctification to be like Christ, when God's people seek to abide, to live in the word and by the word, we receive a promise now. We receive a promise now. And that promise is eternal life, a return to Eden. Eternal life does not begin in death or at the second coming of Christ. No, for God's people, eternal life begins at the new birth when he saves them and awakens them unto their sin and unto his holiness, just as physical birth begins with a physical, or physical child that has life begin as a physical birth. When we live by the word of God, abiding in him, our eternity begins in the here and now. This right here should be a great joy for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, that even in this life, full of its difficulty, full of its darkness, full of its mire, full of its battling sin, we are given a down payment of our future inheritance, which is more than silver or gold that moth and rust and flame can take up. The down payment that we are given in the here and now of eternal life comes through God giving us the down payment of himself and the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1. Amen? Now, how are God's people safeguarded against error? The scriptures, Holy Spirit, the scriptures and the spirit cannot be separated from one another. There's so much talk about a move of the spirit. We've heard it recently. And again, it's language we need to be careful with, just like with the word anointing. Usually what that means is an emotional high. They equate with the Holy Spirit, chill bumps, something like that. There's never, I, I've yet to hear talk of a move of the spirit because people show up to chapels and churches and all these things hungry for the word of God because they're slain because of their sin. It's always towards an emotional high. Have you noticed that? Usually based around what? Really cool, great music. The Holy Spirit 
sovereignly guided men along at various times and in various ways to write the scriptures. God rev- God's revelation to us, 2 Timothy 3, 2 Peter 1. And it is the same Holy Spirit, that third member of the blessed Trinity, who delights to abide in us, causing us to abide in his word, which pushes us all to abide more in Christ. You see, when John says, you have no need that anyone should teach you, he's not the pot calling the kettle black, since he himself is teaching his first listeners and us. Remember the context. You have no need that any one of them, those false teachers, should have to enlighten you about something secret. You have knowledge. That's what John's saying. We have the revelation of God confirmed. And you, dear believer, you have the Holy Spirit of God within you. Think of how awesome, think of how awesome this is that you, dear beloved, a sinner, would have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God without sin, live within you and slowly fix you up like a broken down home until at the end of your life, as you stand in glory, you are awakened to the fact that he has completely repaired you and restored you. And that whole concept of a home, of a house, a place where people, I don't know, abide in fellowship shall be yours as you abide with God forever because of the sanctifying work that he has done in and for you. My dear little children, my dear listener, has it struck you yet? With joy, with fear and trembling, Every week from the pulpit, you hear, at least right now in 1 John, some sort of, of, of fashion for me, abide in the word, live in the word, remain in the word. It's not because I think you need to be in it. Like, oh, that old prude pastor just wants me to read the Bible all the time, have my nose stuck in a book. No, it's because God has spoken to you for you to be in it. The scriptures not only tell us who God is, who you are, how to love God, how to love neighbor, how to live your life, how to navigate the world. All these magnificent truths, but they are also this antidote for us. Antidote of what? Ah, good question, you inquirer of taught you well. I, Howard Marshall, a commentator, says it better than I could, so listen to what he says. The antidote to falling into false ideas of the Christian faith is to be found in holding fast to the initial statement of Christian truth given the apostolic witness as this is confirmed in our hearts by the anointing given by the Spirit. It cannot be otherwise with a religion based on a historical once-for-all revelation. Talking about Christ. Granted that the Lord has yet more light to break forth from His Word. It is nevertheless from the Word that new understanding issues and any new doctrine which is not in harmony with the word self-condemned. What a great antidote we have. What a great daily vitamin we are called to take because it strengthens us to the core. Dear saints, this whole section comes just ever talking about the world and its desires passing away. Be not of the world, my dear flock. For to be of the world is to be what? Anti-Christ. Do not let your flesh, the world, or Satan deceive you. Dear Satan, remember that the one who does the will of God abides forever. Eternal life, being restored unto what it means to truly be a human being in the here and now, not something far off in the distance. You can walk through life in the light of Christ with confidence as the last hour of the world, those desires tick away because you don't live 
of that old time system anymore. You live in the year of the Lord, a year of divine favor because of what he has done and given you. Repent, believe, confess, abide, and abide, and abide, and abide. What great joy this should give his people. Amen. Grace and peace to you. Let's pray.